Welcome to Stigma's Toll, a podcast series to reduce the stigma of opioid use disorder through education. I'm Eric Clemenson, a licensed alcohol and drug counselor, as well as a graduate student at the University of Minnesota in the Executive Public Health Administration and Policy Program. This podcast will discuss substance use disorder, SUD, which is a technical term for addiction. Opioid use disorder, OUD, falls under this umbrella, but is specific to those who have an addiction to opioids, such as heroin, fentanyl, or painkillers. Each episode will have a topic introduced by me, followed by an interview with an expert on the topic. Now to the episode. Another important factor in the opioid epidemic is naloxone, the opioid overdose reversal drug that the FDA has approved, designed to allow laypersons to administer in the event of an overdose. This medication has been shown to decrease mortality from opioid overdose. In a study in Massachusetts, after naloxone distribution and overdose education program started, deaths from overdose were reduced by 27 to 46 percent. In a different study, between 1996 and 2014, there were over 26,000 overdose reversals due to the use of naloxone. Another found an 89 percent success rate for those who used it, with many other programs reporting the same high rates of success. More and more states are allowing naloxone. In 2017, 49 states permitted access to naloxone, an increase from only 6 in 2010. However, the off-label use of naloxone by laypersons from overdose education programs has been operating since the mid-1990s, so this is not a new model. Not everyone supports naloxone distribution, and there has been misinformation spread that naloxone availability promotes risky drug use, though there is no evidence to support this. Some also have made comment of how expensive it is to provide naloxone to communities. Though even with conservative estimations, these programs are cost-effective due to the reduction of medical costs. For this episode, the expert on this topic is Alicia House, who is the executive director of the Steve Rumler Hope Network. She is currently a member of the Opioid Epidemic Response Council in Minnesota and found her passion working in opioid use disorder treatment in 2017. She has held a variety of positions as an intake director, outreach director, and managing sober living homes. She specializes in building and maintaining relationships, outreach efforts, client care, and marketing. Alicia received her BA in English with an emphasis on composition, literature, and cultural studies from the University of Minnesota Duluth. The Steve Rumler Hope Network was instrumental in the legalization of naloxone for all laypersons in Minnesota. This interview includes information regarding what naloxone is, why it is important, and how stigma has affected naloxone in Minnesota. Alicia shared a little of the history of the network and the process to legalize naloxone in Minnesota. She did a wonderful job of humanizing those who use drugs and shared the experience that Steve Rumler had with opioid use disorder. 
There was discussion of how opioids are being found in all drugs now, so this epidemic affects anyone who uses any drug, removing some of the stigma and othering of heroin users. She explained how to get naloxone and that everyone should carry it, as anyone could need it someday. She discussed race disparities among overdose deaths in Minnesota, which has some of the worst disparities in the nation. She spoke to harm reduction and how it is just meeting people where they are, and that it is not encouraging use, but simply keeping people safer. She explained the importance of these programs, as people involved with harm reduction services are eight times more likely to reach out and receive recovery services. Now to the interview. Good morning. Good morning. Why don't I allow you to introduce yourself? Absolutely. So my name is Alicia House, and I am the executive director for the Steve Remler Hope Network. Thank you. And what is the Steve Remler Hope Network? Yeah, so we are an organization that began about 10 years ago, and we are located right in the Twin Cities of Minnesota, right between Minneapolis and St. Paul. And we actually specialize in overdose prevention and awareness. We originated when Steve Remler was an individual who had suffered an injury and developed chronic pain, was prescribed opioids, and eventually had turned to heroin and unfortunately overdosed and died. His story has become all too common and is a very frequent situation that a lot of families have gone through and a lot of individuals continue to go through. And his parents really, in his memory, began this organization within two weeks after his death, really knew that they wanted to get out there and do something. And that's where this network originated. But since then, since 2011, we've really grown and developed. 2011, that was a time, if you can imagine, where there really wasn't a whole lot of talk of overdose prevention. And there really wasn't a lot of knowledge around things like naloxone. And since then, we've really grown and brought so much awareness, especially the, to the state of Minnesota, about the importance of naloxone and overdose prevention and awareness. That's amazing. Unfortunately, that is an all too common story. I'm very impressed that they're able to get all this started in just two weeks. That is shows a lot of passion. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like the 501c3 takes some time and things like that. But yeah, within two weeks after his death, they began hitting the ground running. So yeah, it did. It, it definitely shows that they just had this calling and it ended up turning out to be an amazing organization. So Definitely. Being in Minnesota and working in the field, I have heard a lot about your network mm -hmm. and the amazing work that you all have done. You did mention naloxone, which is the topic of this podcast. Do you mind explaining what that is and how it works? Absolutely. So naloxone is the medication itself that reverses an opioid overdose. A lot of people like to use the term Narcan, but I do like to differentiate those two. They are not one and the same. Naloxone is the actual medication that reverses an overdose, whereas Narcan is the brand name of Emergent Biosolutions nasal form of naloxone. It's not necessarily the same thing. And there's a lot of different ways that you can administer naloxone and Narcan just happens to be the nasal form. Naloxone, it reverses an opioid overdose. Also not to be confused with the fact that it's only opioid overdoses. It will mm -hmm. not reverse um, an overdose for any other substance, not methamphetamines, benzodiazepines, antidepressants, anything, just opioids. But there is a lot of opioids 
out there that a lot of people aren't aware of. Also, it's important to keep in mind too that people don't always know what they're using. So we're finding more often than not other substances are being cut with opioids. Mm -hmm. So it, that's why naloxone is important for people across all substance use disorders. What happens is when somebody uses an opioid will attach to the receptors in your brain and it caps them and holds there, which can ultimately cause suppression of your breathing, which mm -hmm. then in turn turns to cardiac arrest and then in turn turns fatal. What naloxone will do is it'll actually kick that opioid off the receptor and actually cap it itself. So it will prevent opioids from continuing to reattach themselves to your brain's receptor, preventing an overdose and or also reversing one if you had mm -hmm. already been beginning to suffer one. So yeah, naloxone is an amazing substance that has obviously saved many lives. Yeah. We're finding that it's being distributed all over the country now. It's not just Minnesota. It's just a great tool to have, especially since we all know that people who are between the ages now of 18 and 45 in the United States, your number one most likely way statistically is to die from an overdose. If you think that you're not necessarily an individual who needs to know about naloxone or carry it, truth is you do. You really just never know. That's in short what naloxone is. Yeah, that is good information to know. And it does make sense that everyone probably should be carrying it. You had mentioned that other drugs are being cut with opioids. Can you expand on that? The third big wave that we like to say with this opioid crisis right now is synthetic opioids, mm -hmm. which are more commonly known as things like fentanyl or carfentanil. And what's happening is that these synthetic opioids are in turn cheaper to produce. They are lighter in weight and they are more potent than standard opioids. And the negative around that is because of those, the realization of these synthetic opioids, people are utilizing them to cut them not only into other opioids, but other substances like cocaine, methamphetamine, because it just increases the supply at a cheaper cost. Right now too, we do a significant amount of distribution for fentanyl testing strips because fentanyl is becoming so prevalent in so many substances that it's important for people to test and know. All too common now we're hearing about people who are utilizing other substances and dying from fentanyl because they wow. had no idea. That's scary. Very um, scary. So how would somebody get naloxone? Naloxone should be accessible in every single state. And I can't speak for across the country, but I could say mm -hmm. for the state of Minnesota that it's not only accessible, but it is free of charge. So mm -hmm. Steve's Law, which is also known as the Good Samaritan Law in Minnesota, and we can discuss about all that entails. But one of the mm -hmm. things that it encompasses is it allowed all pharmacists to dispense naloxone straight from the pharmacy. So naloxone is still technically a prescribed medication. You do need a prescription for it. However, you don't necessarily need a doctor prescription for it. So you can go straight to your local pharmacy and a pharmacist can prescribe it right on site. So you could just say, I want naloxone. They could prescribe it and dispense it to you. There is that ability and there might be a small copay. It just depends what your insurance is. But as we all know, not everybody's insured and that process mm -hmm. is not simple for everyone. So there's organizations like ours and we're not the only one that does a lot of just distribution. And so you can come to our network just through our website even 
and ask for naloxone and we will get it to you. Whether you want to pick it up, we will mail it straight to your home address, however it's easiest for you to obtain. But what we also have began over the last couple of years is naloxone access points, also known as NAP sites. And these locations are physical, like brick and mortar buildings located all around the state of Minnesota. And they have operating hours where you can just walk in at any given time and ask for a naloxone kit and they will give you one, no questions asked. And that's it. And we have our website where you can find a map of all the different locations. I believe we have 60 locations right now all around the state of Minnesota. And we're continuing to grow that program. We are adding more NAP sites all the time. So that's another opportunity for individuals. And right now, those NAP sites are also dispensing fentanyl testing strips. That's amazing. 60 of them. That's very impressive. You mentioned your website. Do you mind sharing what your website is? So it's steverumlerhopenetwork.org. Or you could just do rumlerhope.org. It will bring you to the same site. On there, yes, you can find more information about naloxone, about fentanyl testing strips, and how to access those. We also do naloxone trainings. So we've trained probably 15,000 individuals around the state. We do trainings every week, community trainings, private trainings, really at request of just the general public. We will do them now. We got very good at doing them virtually (laughs) over the past couple of years, but we do offer them in person as well. And we also have a train the trainer program where we, if you do a training and you're like, wow, I really, you know, love this. I want to do this in my own community. We will train you and give you all the supplies you need in order to offer the same training in, in your community and to other organizations as well. Wow, that's amazing. And 15,000 people, that is very impressive. So you had mentioned Steve's Law. Do you mind expanding mm-hmm. on how that works in Minnesota? Yeah, like I said, Steve's Law is also known as the Good Samaritan Law in the state of Minnesota. And it does allow, like I said, pharmacists to dispense naloxone. But what it more importantly does is it grants some immunities to individuals who call 911 during an overdose. So Steve is an individual, unfortunately, that was in the presence of of other people during his Mm -hmm. overdose who had not called 911. In 2014, Steve's law was passed in order to, you know, really try and prevent that from happening again. Unfortunately, I still hear about it happening in our state Mm -hmm. all the time. And it breaks my heart. You imagine the loss of a loved one, and then you imagine the loss of a loved one realizing it could have been prevented. And there couldn't be worse pain. I always try and build awareness around Steve's Law. It's not going to grant all immunities. And if you want the statute and completely out of what those include, we do have that on our website as well. But it will grant simple immunities to things like small possessions, paraphernalia, items like that. If you're with someone, please just call 911 get them help, especially with naloxone, their lives are absolutely able to be saved. If you administer naloxone before cardiac arrest and with rescue breaths, that person has a 90% chance of surviving. It's really dire for us to continue um, to save lives. Also, what Steve's Law did do is it grants civil and criminal immunity to any individual in the state of Minnesota to not only carry naloxone, but to also administer it. So a lot of individuals or organizations, there's a lot of stigma around, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get in trouble if I administer it. Well, no worries. You won't. It's never happened before. And with Steve's Law, you are safe. If you aren't sure 
if somebody is suffering from an opioid overdose, still administer the naloxone. You are safe and that and naloxone is safe. So naloxone is completely harmless if you administer it and they're not suffering from an overdose. I could administer naloxone into myself right now and it would be completely safe. So if you ever have concern about, oh, do I want to do this? Do I know what I'm doing? Just do it. Be safe than sorry. It will not be harmful to the individual. Also keep in mind too, a lot of people aren't sure if their naloxone is expired or if it wasn't stored in the right room temperature. That's okay too. It does not turn toxic. It might become less potent based upon its storage or its expiration, but it's not going to become toxic. So it is completely safe for you to still administer that naloxone at any given time. So Steve's Love really encompasses all that. And it also allowed and really expanded on EMS and law enforcement to carry it. If you can imagine, there was a time where law enforcement EMS did not have naloxone on them. That is no longer the case, especially in Minnesota. I can't say for every department, but more often than not, you're going to find that first responders are going to be equipped with naloxone now. If you had one thing that you thought was most important for the public to know about naloxone, what do you think that would be? I think it would be a, a couple things, twofold. I think the education in naloxone and just this conversation that we're having today, Eric, is just, it's so important because there's just a lot of stigma and miseducation out there. And unfortunately, that stigma is creating barriers where people and individuals are not learning about it, not gaining access to it, not telling their loved ones who might even be at high risk to please make sure you have this. It is so important. It's also important to a, a lot of the naloxone uh, distribution, especially through our network, is going to be the intramuscular kind, which is a syringe and a vial. And those kits that we pack come with three doses. But it's also, it's important to me for people to be aware, don't be afraid of the syringe. The syringe is going to save a life. It's not there to hurt you or anybody else. And there's still such judgment and fear of syringes. Also keep in mind that our kits, especially with the syringes, they are intramuscular syringes, meaning that these are injected into your muscle, usually your arm your buttocks or your thigh. And these are not the type of syringes that an individual would use with, especially needles are all going to be IV. And those are mm -hmm. very different. So a lot of people have this stigma and judgment that I don't want these kits on me. I don't either. I don't want to carry syringes. I don't want to trigger a user. Don't worry. <laughs> That's not the case. These are not mm -hmm. the same supplies. Please, if you are at risk or if anyone was at risk, which chances are there is, please get to know a bit more about this life-saving tool and potentially save a life. That is all so important to know about how the needles can be used and how they can't be used. You had mentioned stigma. How have you seen stigma affect those with opioid use disorder? Yeah, some studies show that stigma kills more individuals than an overdose itself because there's so many different people out there. And a lot of times we find that there's stigma like that's culturally based, especially we all grow up in, in different families. But unfortunately, if you grow up in a space where maybe there's a lot of judgment around substance use disorder, or there's a lot of fear around it, that you're going to be much less likely to reach out for help. And unfortunately, that costs people their life because they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to admit that 
they have a concern or they have this disease. So talking about it really does save lives. And unfortunately, stigma is it's still prevalent. It's still out there a lot. We all hear about the opiate crisis, but unfortunately, there's still a lot of people that aren't talking about it or aren't really aware of, of everything it entails. There's a lot of stigma and judgment across different communities of color. Right now in the state of Minnesota, we actually have one of the worst race rate disparities of overdoses in the country. The Native American population is eight times more likely to suffer from an overdose than white Minnesotans. And then black Minnesotans are three times more likely than white Minnesotans. And this isn't necessarily because there's more individuals in use. Actually, use percentages tend to be very much so the same based upon races, but overdoses and deaths are very different. And the reason is because of stigma. There's a lot less culturally specific programming in the state of Minnesota where these individuals could reach out to. There's still a lot of mistrust from these individuals with our healthcare providers. Yeah. And there's just a, a lot of, of fear. So unfortunately, stigma is a, an issue across you know, all communities, but more importantly, in, in these ones. That is very important to know how stigma is actually affecting the disparity in the death rates. Very sad to hear. Continuing with the stigma, I know you mentioned some about the syringes and the kits and everything. How mm -hmm. else has stigma actually affected the access to naloxone? Because people are not learning about naloxone or not also even just learning about opioid use disorder and the fact that this is a disease, or they turn a blind eye. I hear stories all the time of individuals who are suffering and their family, we all know they know, they won't admit it. And if they had, and if they were able to have that conversation or, or be more open about the disease, I think that one of their first um, steps probably in that at that point would be, let's get access to naloxone. Let's make sure that we have this. Let's make sure we know about it. We know how to administer it. Let's start practicing safe use mm -hmm. at least. And unfortunately, the stigma or shame of saying, I have a loved one in use or I have a loved one with opioid use disorder, it's just all too heavy still for a lot of families and a lot of individuals to, to take on. And so they won't say that, and so they won't reach out for help, and they won't learn more. And in turn, these their loved ones are dying. They're just too shameful about their mm -hmm. disease to discuss it or ask for help or gain safe use supplies. You mentioned safe use. What do you believe is the future of overdose prevention? Yeah, harm reduction is very much so a buzzword. And for good reason. Harm reduction is really meeting people where they're at. In the general public, it's very common that if you talk about opioid use disorder, the first thing someone will think of, well, they need treatment. If they're not ready for treatment and that's not the step that they're willing to take, let's meet them where they are and what they are willing to do. And the truth is that people in use aren't as careless as we like to make them out to be. They really do want to practice safely. They really do want to take care of each other. And part of that is using safely. And, and that means having naloxone on you. Mm -hmm. That means maybe receiving clean syringes. When you're using, you're, you're so much more at risk for other diseases as well. Hep C is all too common and HIV you're putting yourself at risk for. So let's at least keep that off the potential list of other things and dangers that these individuals can put themselves in. 
by offering them the ability to obtain safe supplies and fentanyl testing strips or test your substance that might change your behavior. You might use slower, you might use less, you might make sure that you have naloxone around, or you want to make sure also that you're using with somebody else. So that if something were to happen, they could offer medical services by calling 911 or administering naloxone. Harm reduction is also a lot of people say you're just encouraging the behavior. That's not true. These individuals are suffering from a disease and, and they're going to use if that's where they're at. So let's make sure they're using safely and let's keep them alive so that when and if they are ever ready for recovery, they're alive in order to, to do so. Studies also show that people who encounter harm reduction services are eight times more likely to actually reach out and receive recovery services as well. Kind of meeting individuals where they're at is really the key in the future right now, I think, to opioid use disorder. That is powerful. Eight more times likely to enter recovery services. That's mm -hmm. remarkable. And those strips, it really does add to the knowledge is power. If what's going in your body, you can definitely adjust to make it as safe as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I had asked before some misconceptions about naloxone. What are some misconceptions that you've heard about opioid use disorder specifically? I think, you know, that's definitely a loaded question. Um, <laughs> Very but true. I think one thing that is really important, our organization, we do also touch on you know, chronic pain. And I think there's a huge misconception with our network or in, in the chronic pain community too, that, you know, we believe that all chronic pain leads to substance use disorder or all substance use disorder stems from chronic pain. That's, that's not true. There was the original wave of the opioid epidemic with overprescribing of opioids. Mm -hmm. That's not the world we're in today. I definitely want to make that clear that overprescribing is not the problem anymore. I'm not saying it still isn't a problem, but it really has taken a, I would say, a backdrop to really the heroin and the synthetic opioids that are so prevalent today. The overprescribing is something that we really got a grasp on. I think people are more aware, prescribers are more aware, and providers are just being more responsible, which mm -hmm. is key and great, and I'm so happy to hear. But it doesn't mean that opioids are bad. First, want to clarify that not all opioids are bad, and we do recognize that there's people and individuals who, who need them in order to live a life outside of chronic pain. And no, not all chronic pain and long-term opioid use turns to opioid use disorder. And like I said, too, just to clarify that not all opioid use disorder stemmed from a prescription. There is a very big misconception, although that story and that situation is still very common. It's not always why we are today, where we are today. That's really important to clarify. Mm -hmm. and, and chronic pain, sometimes it is still the answer to turn to opioids, but we also try to advocate for the fact of there are other routes right now that people can access and that aren't necessarily long-term opioid use. So we definitely want people to recognize the resources that are out there to see a provider and talk about those with their doctor and, and see if there's another way they can really help cope with their chronic pain outside of long-term opioid use. But yeah, I think that's a huge misconception. People will still believe too that their providers are cutting them off because of this new world today we're in where prescribers are reviewed a bit more about their opioid use. And yeah, they are. There's definitely a bit more pressure on providers today to be more responsible, not to just hand out that script and say, 
this will take care of you. Good luck to you. I'm not denying that fact. Prescribers have this new pressure, but I think mm -hmm. that they're still out there today to try and help you the best they can and, and what that looks like for you as an individual. I think individualized care is really what we try and focus on and, and advocate for, especially with your, with your providers. So I think that's a huge misconception. I think also recognizing that opioid use disorder is not a choice. It is a disease. Mm -hmm. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I want an opioid use disorder. And so unfortunately, that's still all too common that people believe that this is all just a choice. It's, it is not. People need help. They need to be treated just like someone with diabetes or a heart condition. You need to continue to treat that sometimes forever, but there are ways for you to do so in order for somebody to have a good quality of life. Yeah, and speaking to Steve's law and how it has helped this be treated as a disease, if you call 911 for help, you actually get that versus just going to jail, which has been the fear for so long. Exactly. Absolutely. Do you have any like, last words you'd want to offer to the listeners? Please reach out if, if you ever want to learn more. Like I said, you could go to rumlerhope.org. There's also a lot of great organizations we have listed on our website too. Anything from culturally specific programming in the state of Minnesota to harm reduction services to just information around things like naloxone and, and testing and fentanyl and opioids. Please continue to educate yourselves, educate your loved ones, and just really look out for each other. Truer words cannot be spoken. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so very much. Do you have any uh, other questions for me specifically or anything? Just thank you so much, Eric, for doing this, for shining light on this topic. And I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Of course. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stigma's Toll. All references will be available in the episode description. Please share this podcast series with anyone who you believe may be interested. Please feel free to send me a message either on my anchor.fm profile page or through the link in the description. Please stay tuned for the next episode.